0: I'm Jamie Wheeler. When my daughter, who has autism, turned 18, the programs we depended on suddenly stopped, although her needs did not. So I started Austin's Autistic Adventures, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering autistic adults and their families. Much like our nonprofit, this podcast aims to spark candid conversations and build community. Welcome to Autism Unplugged. everyone welcome to autism unplugged a podcast designed to bring neurodiverse and neurotypical families together with a special focus on families who have raised an autistic child to adulthood. We hope to share insights and resources with you, no matter how old your child is on their journey through autism. I'm your host, Jamie Wheeler, and joining me today are my guests of moms who are all involved in our nonprofit, Austin's Autistic Adventures, and its sister program, A3 Resale and Gallery. And joining me today are Lisa
1: Christian, Vice President of Austin's Autistic Adventures. Brenda Burt, art director
2: for Austin's Autistic Adventures. Laura Likes, number one fan of Austin's Autistic Adventures.
0: Okay. Um so We'll come back to other roles that you guys have within the foundation. But I think it'd be useful for parents listening in today to hear our diagnosis stories. So I'm going to start first because it's my foundation and my child. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my daughter, Austin, um, is 25 years old now. She was diagnosed when she was seven, despite having really a lot of autistic behaviors. We were told over and over again that, from her general practitioner, that because I was highly verbal, I expected my child to be, that I just needed to wait and be patient. She probably had some developmental delays, but that was it. It was actually my mom who first honed in on the fact that she was probably autistic when she was about 18 months old. She only had a handful of words. She didn't respond to her name, a lot of the classic autism symptoms. But when we tried to get her diagnosed, like I said, we got the runaround pretty much. Now, remember, this is 25 years ago. And at the time, autism was about, I think, one in 5,000 cases. Most of those children were not female. So that was a strike against her right away. They didn't think girls had autism. She was developmentally on track, so they didn't have any worries about that. So it was all just like this wait and see thing. But the more we waited... The more chances we missed for intervention. When she was still having significant difficulties by age seven, I finally took her to a psychologist who was perplexed, handed me the DSM and said, I don't know, you pick something, I'll sign it. And I said, okay, she has autism, sign. And that's how we got services. Lots more, but I will let Lisa tell her story next.
1: My son, Justin, is 24 years old. He was f- first diagnosed. Well, really, an official diagnosis didn't come until later. They were very hesitant back then to label a child. But when he was about 18 months old, we noticed a few things that were just quirky about him. Didn't really put anything together until we had an outside person say that they thought he might be deaf. And I knew he wasn't deaf because he would react to his favorite show on TV, the doorbell, you know, garage door opening, things like that. So I was like, well, we'll have his hearing checked anyway. So we took him through that process and they said, well, his hearing's fine, we don't know what to tell you. So I started doing my own research online and this was before Google. (laughs) So I just kept digging, I'm putting in all the little quirks and and the hearing not responding to your name and boom, it popped up as red flags for autism, which we did not have any autism that we knew of in our family. You learn later that...
0: More on this that, topic later. Yeah,
1: that, that, that quirky <laughs> uncle. <laughs> anyway, um, so I just started doing research on what to do for him. I immediately called the school district. Now, he was only two and a half when this occurred. So I called the school district. They said, we can send somebody to evaluate him. In the meantime, we, we had scans done. Nothing wrong there. DNA, you know, genetic issues all ruled out. So I just started looking at what we could do. So I kind of just dove into the research. And that's how his diagnosis came about, really. Brenda? My son, Travis, he's also 25, and
3: he was diagnosed at age 3. And we knew something was different because he was totally nonverbal. He threw tantrums. And I have other children I had raised that, you know, could say the whole alphabet at age one and, you know, things like that. So when he was diagnosed at age three, we were shocked, to be honest, because we didn't know anything about autism. It was like not even a word that was in our vocabulary. And so we were kind of devastated at first. And then, you know, as we learned more, we started to get you know, help for him and learn how to deal with it. And, you know, fortunately, he navigated his way through school and everything. But, you know, this group has been life changing for him. So he's um doing great now.
0: Brenda, who diagnosed Travis?
3: We actually went to a, a doctor. I forget what it was exactly. It was like some special kind of doctor and they did a series of tests on him and immediately were able to tell us it was autism. Wow. Anyway that's that's Travi in a nutshell.
0: I think that's interesting because I have the only girl in the group and still we there are still not as many girls diagnosed but you guys all got your diagnosis quick. Well, and I got, I mean, relatively yeah, to my journey. Justin's
1: official diagnosis, very first doctor diagnosis, was PDD-NOS, which is pervasive exactly. developmental disorder. that's what disorder. we got as well. And yeah. if you read between the lines and do any research on your
0: own, you'll find out it's autism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, And I don't think they diagnose that as much anymore. But yeah, that's what we got as Laura.
2: Laura, I'm, I've never heard your origin story for the diagnosis. Well, Harry was officially diagnosed at age two, but about... Age 15 months, and Harry's 24 now. About 15 months, we had been going to kinder music and we would go out to eat probably once or twice a week. And that was fine. He loved restaurants and he loved kinder music. And then all of a sudden, he didn't. And he would, in a restaurant, essentially pass out because he would be so miserable and overwhelmed mm-hmm. that he would just like shut down. And going to Kinder Music, he would just stay in the corner and cry the whole time. And I took him back to my doctor, and you know, Harry's doctor, and said, What happened to my child? Because it was pretty distinct change in a relatively short period of time. And he wasn't really speaking. Every now and then we would get a kind of a partial word. But she sent us to a speech therapist, and the speech therapist was the one who actually said, I think he's on the spectrum, and said, he doesn't make eye contact. And I said, what are you talking about? Of course he makes eye contact. He makes eye contact all the time with me. She said, yeah, with you, but not with anybody else. And we were living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at that time, and there was a developmental diagnosis center there that he went to at age two and was formally diagnosed.
0: Well, before we get too far. I'd just like to tell you a little bit about our foundation and then we'll go on into some other topics. Austin's Autistic Adventures was founded in 2017 when my own daughter graduated from high school and immediately went from having an entire world of social activities to having literally nothing. And she began spiraling so much so that I realized something had to be done. And I realized also that there had to be tons of other families just like ours who are struggling. Um, So this is our sixth year. And if anyone is listening, and would like more information, please uh, let us know. And we will certainly let you know all the things that we do. Okay, I want to go back to the conversation here just for a minute. I believe one of the things that is most difficult is watching the public respond to your child the looks, the stares, the comments, it's really daunting at first. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they are not telling you the truth. So I want to talk, make sure that we are always talking about the journey because our listeners may be a different path. So we want want to kind of show them what we've gone through. And it doesn't mean that your path will be the same, but just so that you know that there are others out there who have shared this. So Would anybody else like to go first with something that happened to your child in public that you remember? The thing that I
1: recall mostly is just people would look at your child misbehaving. They would look at you disapprovingly. No one ever had the nerve to say anything (laughs) to me anyway. Maybe I just had that look Mm -hmm. that don't even that's a look you develop (laughs) don't even but I was Mm -hmm. you know uh, people would you know if he was having a meltdown in a store because my son also was non-verbal until he was about seven he would express himself by screaming and he was not a small child he was a pretty chunky little boy and dragging him out of places when he was you know having these mm. meltdowns, and people just look at you like you don't even know how to raise a child. And you just want to look back and say, you don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So um, that is probably the the biggest thing. And that doesn't change. I mean, he's he's older now, but he still has behaviors. He doesn't throw fits so much as refusals to cooperate. His appearance and his mannerisms are obviously different than neurotypical adults Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we still get the looks Mm -hmm. and again people don't know what to say if they say anything you know and we can talk about this more later it's you know oh wow i don't know how you do it it made me embarrassed when he was little not because i was doing anything wrong but just because he was just causing such a problem it was
2: so noticeable yeah
0: laura can you tell us about a time when cherry was little that it was difficult for you
2: Well, he had a very hard time in stores and rode in the cart, which helped him, but until, and Harry's now 6'5", so he was (laughs) (laughs) always a tall child. And, I mean, he wasn't riding in the cart when he was 16 or anything, but when he was 10, Mm. probably still riding in the cart and barely fitting And there was definitely staring around that. And, you know, people do notice that he's uh, in part because he's tall. They do notice him, but it's been really interesting now that he's – when he was an older child and a young adult – That most people respond really favorably to him. And sometimes I'm thinking, he is getting on my last nerve. And people are beaming at him and they think he's wonderful. And I'm like, well, thank God somebody does today because it's not me. (laughs) So, But that's a blessing that in general, we're not getting that sort of judgmental stares like we used to when he was younger.
0: Just to break in for a second, Laura, I have kind of the opposite problem because you know Austin never, literally never, stops talking. So when she, when she was a child, and to today, if I will tell people it's okay if you need to say I need to go now, but people are so kind for the most part, they will say, <laughs> yes. "Oh no, it's okay," and I'm like, "Dude, you have one warning." I'm gonna go do my thing now because you're gonna be here for the next half hour. <laughs> 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 and Brenda, tell me one of and yours. You know, Laura, on
3: that thought, though, what I, I think has happened when our kids were first diagnosed, there was so little understanding of autism, and yeah. now, yeah. the awareness has definitely has progressed yeah. over the years, and that's probably a lot of what that is. But my my deal was, you know, he was, we'd go to a restaurant and. Out of the blue, it wouldn't be because somebody said anything or did anything. He would just let out a blood-curdling scream, and every head Mm -hmm. would turn. And my husband would say, okay,
0: this is autism. (laughs) yeah it's easier now and i think in in future episodes we want to talk about moving away from autism awareness into autism acceptance which is a harder nut to crack folks we're here Mm -hmm. to tell you but it does help that we do have that awareness now let me tell you my my two little austin stories about her being a child austin had and still has very little sense of herself in space So while other moms of toddlers were at the playground just chatting, this was before cell phones, so they actually talked to each other, I would be crawling my six-foot self up these play structures because if I didn't follow her, she would just fall off the edge. Another time, I was enormously pregnant with my second child, and she was in one of those playscapes at Burger King. She wouldn't come out.
1: Yep. It was on the
0: outside of the restaurant, and I was the only person there other than me and my children. I had to crawl my pregnant butt into that tube, grab her by the foot, and pull her down. So, yeah, I want to talk about public reactions to watching you do that stuff. Um, (laughs) um, There haven't been that many times that people have spoken words to me about her, except one time during Christmas, and I should have known, she was, I don't know, so what we were talking about, you know, when a toddler has a meltdown, nobody thinks much of it. But when you start dragging a nine year old kicking and screaming yep. out of freaking whatever, Target, Kroger, I have left entire shopping carts full of groceries. Because I was not going to put other people through that. But, you know, at Target one time, it was Christmas time, sensory overload, shouldn't have brought her. She, She was good until we got in the checkout line. And she threw the mother of all tantrums. I mean, it was embarrassing. And this woman turns around to me and she goes, what that kid needs is a good spanking. Uh, <laughs> okay and I was like mm, okay just count to three and walk away so that was that my one example from when Austin was little um what do you wish people knew about your day when you're out or anywhere what's something you wish that they knew anybody know what you wish it's people just
2: knew? the level of vigilance that <sighs> when uh, you are out in public yeah he's Harry's very impulsive and that's very common and you just have to be watching constantly. Is he, you know, picking Mm -hmm. up a french fry off the Uh ground, which he's then going to put in his mouth? Or is he, you know, doing something else? Is he going to run out the door? Is he, now when we go to stores, my problem is losing him, not that he can't, you know, can't leave the cart. So that's a, you know, that's a better problem, but it's still an issue. If he's going to dart off and, put his hands all over the grapes because he's organizing the display (laughs) and other people who Mm -hmm. would like to buy grapes buy grapes (laughs) are maybe not excited (laughs) about that and so some of that is just I just take a breath and it's like I can't manage all of that all the time but trying to you know at least exert the effort to manage some of those types of things but that level of being on and vigilance is exhausting.
1: Justin was, when he was nonverbal, um, he was a an escape artist. He has escaped from his stroller in a mall, and he would not respond when you called his name, nor come to you. So wherever he was hiding... We weren't worried that he was kidnapped or anything, (laughs) but we had no idea where he was. We had everyone searching for him, and he was in a clothes rack, you know, underneath the clothes. (laughs) Lots lots of kids do that. But usually when you call their name, they come out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He would escape from our house, and um, he has been found by neighbors. Uh Um, This was when he was around three, so imagine. We had to put alarms on the doors and windows so that if anything opened, we would hear a chime. He'd gone to the neighbor's. Because he had been over there before and he knew that their son had Legos. So he wanted to go over there and play. And she brought him back across the street. Another time, some roofers spotted him walking down the street while they were working on a house. And oh. we were out, we were looking for him everywhere in the house at the time. We didn't know he had gotten out. He had, a window was open because it was springtime. And he had pushed the screen out and climbed out. And was just wandering the neighborhood. So you feel like a horrible parent. And those kind of things happen to a lot of people, I found out. But they just get out and they have no sense of no fear no sense of danger nothing he -hmm. used to climb on the outside of the staircase at our two-story house and stand on the outside of the railing over the couch and I'm trying to get up the stairs before he decides to jump down on the couch but he he was always just it it was nothing to him you know to put himself in danger and that's a very scary thing when they're younger
0: Can I interject here? And that's all that you tell a story, Brenda. I just want to know for people who may not know the terminology out there, when you have a child on the spectrum who runs away, it's called elopement. So if you hear that uh, word, it means that you run away and you don't come back. (laughs) A lot of us have elopement issues. One thing that Austin and probably all of you, I would guess, have struggled with, Austin assumes that everyone shares the same knowledge. So she will walk up to a perfect stranger and say, Travi and I, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, she doesn't understand that Not everyone has the same knowledge. So what we work a lot on within the group is theory of mind. And theory of mind is that ability to perceive how someone else may sense something or may think. But that's very difficult for our kids. Mm -hmm. Their whole world is in their head. And I think that this is true for everyone on the spectrum. And as we begin getting deeper into these conversations, I think what you will realize as a listener is that... It is called a spectrum for a reason. They all share similar characteristics, but their strengths and weaknesses may lie anywhere along that line. OK, even though my child may be considered high functioning compared to Harry, there's still things that Harry's better at than Austin. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's going to be real interesting to see that unfold. Brenda, can you tell us a story about Travis's childhood? Well, one thing I was going to point out, you know, with Travis, a lot of the
3: kids, you can look at them and, see, and tell right away that they're different. And my son, Travis, he looks normal. If mm-hmm. you just see him, you would not know that he was on the spectrum until you engage with him. Mm-hmm. And at that point, well, or the other give, a giveaway is that he's usually got a Thomas the Train toy in his hand. You know, he's six feet tall with a little toy in his hand. You almost wanna have a T-shirt that says autism just so that people don't assume that he is gonna do the normal things you know c- because mm-hmm. he looks like he's not autistic they
1: are surprised to see the autistic behavior oh what? there's I was gonna say there's a new one that people say
0: all the time it's like well he doesn't look autistic <laughs> right <And> i would <laughs> like if you put a picture of our kids and mix them up with neurotypical kids and they did not say anything and they just yeah. sat there you, tell the tell you the would know you would have no idea exactly. Not even Harry. yeah exactly. there's no there's no tell sign like and no shade on down syndrome people but they, they do have a look, right. right? So you can tell, okay, that's a Downs person. Right. Let's say somebody has only met Harry, okay? And then they meet Austin or Joseph or Alyssa, you would not know that these people all share some commonalities, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So I we hope that that will become apparent as we talk more. I loved your um, comment about the constant vigilance because even though mine is different than yours, I still have to have it. Austin, if I do not keep on her every single minute, she will not be ready when we go to work in the morning. And that is half the reason that I am to work all the time time. (laughs) but I mean I'm upstairs okay have you put your shoes on yes mom I'm putting my shoes on go back up there she's still sitting in a wet towel so we we do have have that to
3: share one of the other things that was a factor, I think, for all of us at, in one form or another with Travis, uh, the way he was in school, he couldn't learn anything because his behavior, he was just always just off the walls mm-hmm. and they couldn't teach him anything. And we did finally have to put him on a psychotropic drug. Um, he was on Risperidone for several years and I didn't like having him on that, but it did calm him down enough to where he could actually go to school and learn. But a lot of the teachers at these schools... They can't teach them anything. They are dealing with their behavior exactly. all day long. And yeah, we
0: we will have a, a special podcast devoted just right. devoted just to teaching and the problems in there. But yeah, that that's absolutely true.
3: And everybody's got a different experience with medication on this, but, you know, and fortunately now medical marijuana is available in Texas for them and it it helps. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, we'll have another panel on all meds, (laughs) I I promise you, coming up. Um, Is there anything else you wish people knew before they pass judgment? Because you see it. You see it all the time.
1: Well, now it seems like and it's mostly family and it, it's OK coming from family. I guess it's some affirmation, but they always, you know, it's like the I don't know how you do it. Um, I'm not a superhero. I'm a mom and I don't have a choice
0: if I don't do it. Who is right? <laughs> so okay. I think that can move us along into the next portion of the podcast. I wanted to talk to you about pity versus empathy and anybody at this table not heard somebody say, I don't know how you do it.
2: No, we hear that all no, the time. No, all the time.
0: No, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to read to you often, but I think this is very important to understand. So I'm going to um, read it to you, and then we'll have some discussion about it. This is from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. Uh, Brown is a researcher, pr- research professor at the University of Houston and author of many books on emotion. And here she's quoting fellow researcher Kristen Neff, who explains the principle of near enemies. Near enemy is a useful Buddhist concept referring to a state of mind that appears similar to the desired state. The near enemy of compassion is pity. Instead of feeling the openness of compassion, pity says, Oh, that poor person, I feel so sorry for people like that. Pity sees other people as different from ourselves. There is nothing worse than feeling pity. Pity involves four elements a belief that the suffering person is inferior a passive, self-focused reaction that does not include providing help, desire to maintain emotional distance, and avoidance of sharing in another person's suffering. Have you ever felt that way? Or someone made you feel that way? People do pity you, and they they do it, it's like they kill you with kindness. I mean, you know, it's like... I often feel like I need to make them feel better, which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. But, they, it, you know, what she says is that pity is a self-focused reaction. So instead of having empathy for you right it falls on you to make them feel better for them to feel more comfortable exactly and it's a desire to maintain emotional distance right if you don't have empathy that means that sucks for you wouldn't want to be you bye. bye right <laughs> mm-hmm. so that makes you feel even less or less appreciated more alone more excluded. And avoidance of sharing in another person's suffering, right? So that's part of the problem, I think. So, what should people say instead of "I don't know how you do it"?
1: How can I help? Uh, not that they I need help, but just to make it less awkward. Like, I mean, what do you need? Well, wh- uh, what do, do you need? You need? And uh, mean it.
0: I think when when people come back with that, I've got a lot of backpedaling. Oh well, um, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But then, then that helps, helps you separate out people who are being genuine and people who are not. And if, you know, I don't blame everyone for not wanting to take on right. our world. But I do think there are better responses. And does anyone else have a suggestion of how people might
1: respond? I mean, if you're talking about empathy, they need to, I mean, not it's not just for us, but for our child. Justin was maybe invited to one birthday party when he was little. Mm-hmm. And that was a nightmare because he was all over the place. And And they don't invite you back. And they
0: don't invite you back. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) exactly. Because your child is difficult. Or if you have a compassionate parent who says, no, you must invite Justin, Mm-hmm. That does not ex- prevent them from being ostracized at a party. Right.
1: Well, he's self-isolated again. You know, like I said, even when he started talking, he, he was doing a lot of echolalia, which is just repetitive talk right. or mimicking. He was always curious and he would like go and play with it. Instead of participating in the birthday party, he would be playing with the kids toys and the kid would be like, hey, don't touch my stuff. You know, Austin would go
0: and get in their bed. So <laughs> <that'd> be-
2: <laughs> yeah. Harry likes to know where their TVs are and to explore their their showers and their bathrooms oh, yes. <laughs> and so he would be yeah there in, is
0: not <laughs> a toilet in the state of texas austin has not closed the lid on Every, <laughs> everywhere she goes the toilet yeah so what do you think brenda well, what would have, you know
3: i do think that overall like i mentioned earlier the autism awareness has really increased so much that you know that people know what it is now but i mean i used to have people all the time say what's wrong with him you know mm-hmm. it's like well he has autism what's wrong with
1: you yeah you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean oh yes i had these little cards that you could print out that said my child has autism it's so you're supposed to you know hand them to people that are giving you yeah crap <laughs> <the> little, <right? laughs> it's like, I, I never did i always had them with me but i never had the nerve to just here yeah. now go away
3: It's very, very educational for the parents to go through this process, especially if you've, if you've already raised Mm -hmm. a neurotypical child, it is a complete, just your world gets turned upside down. I mean, it's like you almost have to go to college to navigate this because there's so many nuances to it. And there's back in the early days, there was so little information, so little help available. And You know, the school systems didn't really know what to do. They just kind of moved them through Mm -hmm. the system. They didn't really give them that one-on-one because they couldn't. I mean, they had so many, and they all were bouncing off the walls. But over the years, it has really come a long way, and and people in general are much more cognizant of special needs.
0: Okay, but I want you to answer the question, though. When somebody says... I don't know how you do it. What is a response that you could well, give? Well, my response is that he's
3: a gift. He's a joy. He really is. In my case, it, it is. yes, there's challenges, but the beautiful part is they have such a beautiful soul and and just a sweet spirit about them you know they might act out in different ways but every one of them are just the most gentle kind sweethearts and in my case you know it's like it's not a you know overwhelming duty it's it's a gift in my case but
0: that's you know well yeah i'm gonna push back a little bit on that because they're not all sweethearts (laughs) no i was gonna
1: say um my son is he's not mean by any uh, by any you know stretch of the imagination but he is stubborn and obstinate and he will argue with you and plant himself and not be moved and jamie knows this from experience so uh he's not all love and light all the time no (laughs) no no no
0: no person is right right so we have to roll with their bad but did i already ask you if you had a response or
2: no? I, I mean i it would just be great if somebody would say you know what do you need and yeah. you had sort of mentioned family mm-hmm. before i mean when my mom said to me i don't know how you do that this it was devastating mm-hmm. it was like why are you uh, kind of othering me my own mother who i had a very good relationship with
0: mm-hmm. because um, she didn't want to do either
2: But she didn't Mm -hmm. she really didn't know what to do. And she she lived with us the last six months of her life. And one of the gifts of that, as challenging as it was in many ways, is that she and Harry got to spend time together every day. And they really got to know each other in a way that they hadn't before, in part because she just was she felt like she didn't know what to do. And so she was always uncomfortable with him. They just avoid. Right. Yeah, avoidance. Right. that
0: avoidance is, is a big problem, especially if they growl at you. And I noticed that with
3: Justin the other night. If they get frustrated, they will literally growl at you. They will growl at you. And that's their response. <laughs> like, yeah. yes. OK,
0: let me just say that. I think, yes, asking people what they need and being ready to hear it and accept it is super important all the parents in our group know this sometimes we just need to unload right it's Mm-mm. been a hard morning you don't need anybody trying to fix it you need to just right. vent and listen so if that friend or that family member is in your life and i i'm going to target men here because men always want to fix. fix it nine times out of ten i just need somebody to listen and to care and to reflect that empathy back to me um Okay, well, I had way other things to go, but I I've, guess that could be. Our I've got two.
2: one more okay. kind of short uh-huh. story that I was just thinking about as we were talking about the responses and the what do you need? So Harry was in a playgroup around the time that he was diagnosed, and there were six moms and their children. And the playgroup kind of fell apart at the time that he was diagnosed because nobody but one woman, And her child wanted to deal with us anymore. And, you know, it was very hurtful to feel this sort of this rejection, but Mm -hmm. it it was very much what you described. I think that was such a good explanation of where the pity comes from, where it puts it over there. And then I don't have to Mm -hmm. engage with you and I don't have to ask you what you need because I I don't want to deal with that And that one friend became a really good friend because she was the one who said, do you need me to go to the grocery store for you? Or do you want, Mm -hmm. you know, to Mm -hmm. just have coffee and I'll listen? And I mean, I will love that woman my my whole life because (laughs) it it was so beautiful. And it was it was such a clear example of the difference between empathy and pity.
0: That is a lovely example. Thanks for sharing that. I think we all we all struggle with like the nonverbal communication. I know what happened with my child was that nobody said to me, we don't want to hang out with you, but they would click off, you know. Three or four moms would go over there. I'd hear they were going out to lunch or the McDonald's or whatever, and we weren't invited. Right. It, it was uncomfortable. And it's it's it still can be. I mean. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't expose. I mean, yeah. Richard and I you always talk about, you know, we have the social life, but bringing Justin into that public environment where he doesn't want to be anyway. It's like going to a party right, or going right. to a restaurant with a group of people. Yes, he could come along and I could get him to behave, but it'd be a constant battle of when is it time to go and what are mm. we doing here <laughs> and all that and then it makes and it so, uncomfortable
0: for you cuz you right. can't have a good time i can't yeah so all of us at this table have adults mm-hmm. we cannot just drop everything and go to dinner or go away for a long right. weekend or leave our children alone in the house for very long at all right so we'll talk more about that and hopefully we'll have some insights to share with families and some funny stories to tell as well can i throw one final thought sure. on that is family not just people yep. in your
3: life but family will avoid as well. Oh, absolutely. And, like you don't even have a family member that'll say, "Let me come watch him mm-hmm. so you can go out or something." No no everybody's afraid. Of what he might do, you know, he might have a tantrum and they wouldn't know what to do. Or they'll just, he'll just talk endlessly and they don't know what to say, like Austin. Right, but the family, I've got family members that have never spent any time with him at all on a one-on-one basis, you know. They'll come around when we do something and they'll say hi to him if he's there, but they never say, let me take him to a movie or let me watch him while y'all go do something. That just doesn't happen even Mm -hmm.
2: now. I remember one of my neighbors about two blocks over when Harry was first diagnosed, her son was diagnosed about the same time. And I didn't know her at the time, but I met her years later. And her mother moved into their house when their child was diagnosed and did the cooking and most of the cleaning <gasps> oh. and ran the that part of the house so that her daughter could focus focus on the child. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's I was amazing. so jealous when I heard about that.
3: <laughs> That's a blessing. And somebody
2: said to me, oh, you don't want your mother living with you. And it's like, yeah, there obviously are drawbacks to that. But at that point, that would have been such a huge lifeline. Like I, It
0: takes a village. Laura, I'm really glad you shared that about extended family because everyone in this room has had to have familial help in some way. But more than our immediate families, what has brought us together is being that village for each other. Everyone knows the famous adage, it takes a village, but we are here to tell you it is literally true. And when you find us, if you want to come join our group, that village is there for you and can be your support system. And if the only thing you can do is listen, we hope we can give you lots of insights to make your journey easier. Thanks for listening. Learn more by visiting our website at austinsautisticadventures.org and follow us on Facebook.